Heavenly Father, declare first and foremost that you are good. God, I worship and praise you for who you are, for what you've done for us. God, I think about uh, the series. We talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about it more today as it applies to our lives. Lord, I thank you that you provided a solution for us so that we could be right with you. And it's the perfect solution. I praise you and thank you for that. God, as we, as we come before you this morning, we want to hear what, what you have to say. God, I, my prayer is that this would not be what Greg has to say, not what the Firehouse Church has to say, not what somebody else would have to say. This would be something you have to say. God, we just want to look to your word and, and see what it says as we approach a, a topic and a subject that in some ways is really controversial and really hits close to home, really hits close to our hearts, really hits to maybe even some of the, the sin areas we have in our own lives. And God, we want to react our, our human fleshly response to being faced with our sin is to react in anger and, and fear and, and judgment. And God, I, I pray that each one of us today would would receive the grace that you've provided for us, the love that you have for us as we talk about the gospel and how it applies to marriage and physical relationships, and that we would be looking for what you have to say, what you want us to do, and the faith you want us to each one individually live out each day. Thank you for giving us grace when we, we miss the mark. Thank you that we can have a right relationship with you regardless regardless of whether we hit the mark or not. God bless us and, and guide us. Pray you'd be speaking this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, again, welcome. As I said before, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're in the midst of this series uh, called Faith Factor. As you can see on the screen, um, we're looking at the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and how that applies to our lives. I think uh, something I've learned, I, I even just uh, the past couple of days, I went and, and spent uh, uh, some time with some other pastors from our church movement. Uh, just in the front range here, we went up to a house and spent a lot of time talking and sharing things. And as I interacted with these pastors from, from other churches, I realized that, okay, what I'm, what I'm seeing in our culture, what I'm seeing in Christianity is something that's happening elsewhere. And I think that what we really have going on in a lot of ways, is a compartmentalization of faith. Where we really want to say, oh, my faith applies here, the gospel applies here, but it doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply to this, or I don't really think, I don't really want it to apply to that. And so that's part of why we're going through this series, and as you may recall, um, a few weeks ago, it was probably three weeks ago, we had three of you guys from, uh, came up and gave testimonies about how uh, you really expressing faith, how faith can be expressed in the workplace and in daily life. And then two weeks ago, Tim shared about faith and walking through challenges in faith and not by sight. And man, Tim, I know you're here somewhere. I was, that was really meaningful to me. Maybe because I spent a lot of time up here instead of out there listening. But I just that, that principle, that concept that the creator of the universe is amazed at faith. Like, what, what would be amazing to him? He knows everything there is to know about everything, and yet he's amazed 
when we express faith. And so that really spoke to me. And so today, we're going to talk some about marriage and relationships. There's probably all kinds of things we could talk about. But I think this is such an important topic in our culture today. Um, and so before I get into that and talk about that a little more, I, I wanted to highlight, I mentioned a few minutes ago, our gospel groups. I had the chance a week ago, before the snow really got bad, one of our gospel groups met on Saturday morning. And I have a picture of it here. Because I think sometimes we, we say these things and we don't really get a picture in our minds. But here's a gospel group in action. This is the women's Bible study. I'm just kidding. Uh, this is the men in cars group. You can see there's John uh, and then uh, Tyler. I think that's Tyler sprawled out under the car. And Ron, Ron, you're here today. I thought I saw you here this morning too. Ron came. A number of other guys are in the picture are here. That's my car. Really appreciate you guys replacing the bumper and the fender. It was a, a labor of love. Um, but I wanted to highlight this group. Just having gone to this, I realized what an opportunity for, for those of you who are men and now women. We do have a women's Bible study that meets and gets together and, and does womenly things on Thursdays. Every other Thursday that one meets. But for men, I think sometimes as a culture we lose that opportunity to interact with each other. And so being part of this group, I see there's really an opportunity. Now, you might say, I don't, I don't know the first thing about a car except that you put the key in the ignition and you turn it and then you drive somewhere and then you park it and sometimes you've got to change the oil and stuff, right? Maybe you're like that or maybe you're like Ron who loves cars, right? I, I love Ron was there and he was just like really excited about my car and I'd really appreciate that. So wherever you are in that spectrum... You could come join with us on a Saturday and even if you just come and bring a cup of coffee and sit and, and spend 30 or 45 minutes interacting with another man. It would be just a great opportunity. So I'd like to invite any of you men to come to this one in particular, but I just wanted to throw that picture up there. But Anyway, as we're talking about faith, that's just an example of faith and of trusting God that there's good in interacting with each other. And today we're talking about faith expressed in marriage. And in physical boundaries in our relationships. And so I, I thought, before I get into that, I, I kind of want to give a disclaimer. Because right? this is a really tough topic. It's going to hit pretty much to everybody's heart. And so I want you to understand that this, as I talk today, there's really going to be kind of these nodes that we go through. And really each one of these nodes could probably be a whole message or a whole series of messages and so I'm really trying to give a 30,000-foot view of these things. And I'm really trying to get to, what does God say? Not what, is, not what do I say. Not what does you know, churches say or what we're supposed to say. But what does God really say about this? If he's given us the gospel and he wants us to walk in faith, then by all means, we probably should walk in faith when it comes to relationships and to marriage. And so my disclaimer is really this, is that if you don't understand something that I'm talking about today because I, I kind of have to move fast so we can kind of cover the whole view or you kind of wonder what's going on, I'm going to put up my contact information at the end of this. And I would love, in all humility, to, to sit down and talk to you and, and to listen to what do you think about how this is and how this applies to your life. Is there some way I can help you and meet you where you're at and talk about it more or offer clarification so I don't want anyone to throw any tomatoes at me today when we're done. You can just send me an email or a text message and then we can talk from there. 
So anyway, that being said, before we talk about marriage relationships, we really have to get the backdrop. On the backdrop is the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? We've talked about this. We had, we just gone through a couple of series where we're talking about what is the gospel. And the gospel underlies everything that we do as believers. It's the good news. It's what frees us from religion and frees us from just wandering off into the, the wilds of immorality in so many ways. And how does it do that? Well, there's a couple elements. You remember, we've talked about this before, this review, for those of you who've been here for a while. We talk about truth. The gospel is truth. It tells us that I am more sinful than I ever imagined. Romans 3.23 is one of those great memory madness verses. All have sinned. All have sinned. There's nobody here or walking around on the street out there or other church location or anywhere that hasn't sinned. All have sinned. And so when we recognize that all have sinned, we recognize that I am sinful. Jesus shows us that we can't draw our own circles around what is sin and what is not. We're all sinful. And yet there's this other side of the gospel, which is grace, which says, I am loved and I am forgiven of that sin more than I deserve. I love that the next verse right there in Romans 3 says, all are justified freely by his grace. All are justified freely by his grace. Christ covers all of our sin, the sins that we committed in the past, the sins that we're going to commit today, the sins we're going to commit in the future. He covers them. Now, it's not just sort of this thing that's granted and everybody gets covered under it. John 3.16 tells us it's for those who believe. In Ephesians, we see that it's a free gift. Well, a free gift has to be received. That's all you have to do. And so you recognize that you're more sinful. You realize that God loves you more than you deserve. And so the gospel is really holding on to both of these things. And so when we see tension in our culture and world around us, it's usually because people are kind of holding on to one or the other, right? And so I've shown this diagram a long time ago. I love this kind of my architectural sketch of the gospel. Sometimes we think, oh, Christianity and belief is sort of on one extreme or the other, but it's not. It's really this, this balance not of, oh, I'm kind of not want both of those things, but it's really holding on to those two things, onto grace and to truth. And as we do that, we get to walk through life and we get to exercise faith. And so, against that backdrop, God has set boundaries for us. I think we all recognize that God has set boundaries. So, why? Why did He set boundaries for us? Why did God set boundaries and draw circles around us? Why didn't He say, just go do whatever you want to do? Well, we go to this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40. As God is giving the law, he's, he's through Moses, right? And he says, keep his decrees, God's decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children. And that you may live long in the land the Lord God gives you for all time, so that it may go well for you. I think sometimes we think God gives us boundaries and we go, oh, he just wants to be a meanie. He's just trying to ruin my fun, right? And so if that was the case, this verse would say, keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that God can show you how mean he is. But it doesn't say that. 
says actually the opposite. He wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. Now think about those of you who have children. I'm trusting that most of you in some way, and some people at different levels than others, give boundaries to your kids. Why? Because if you don't give boundaries to your kids, they're going to run out in the streets or do other things that they shouldn't be doing. So boundaries are good. And so God set boundaries for us because they're good and he did them for our benefit. And so the gospel really tells us that boundaries are not simply about, oh, this is right and that's wrong and this is right and that's wrong. But it's about God wanting what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. Remember, we went through the Galatians series. My favorite verse, I think, in the entire Bible is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's not freedom to just go out and do whatever necessarily. It's freedom to live within the boundaries that God has given and freedom to experience the blessing that he has within those boundaries. And it's a freedom that I don't need to be enslaved by guilt or shame when I don't live out inside those boundaries. And so marriage is no exception. God has set boundaries, and these boundaries cover all different areas of our life. And marriage and relationships also have boundaries around them because they're so important. And so we have to ask this question. If God set up boundaries and they're for our best... And God set up boundaries for marriage. So what is, what is God's best for us in marriage relationships? Well, we have to go back to the very first chapter of the Bible. I look at what it says about what God did. Like, why did God create men and women? Genesis 1.27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we see right there in the creation of mankind, gender. And we see that gender in humans is a picture of God in his own image. Man and woman. And so we recognize that distinctions between us, he could have just made all women, or all men, or all something else. But he made men and women, and he made distinctions. And those distinctions reflect him. So we recognize that God's setting up boundaries there. Okay, he's doing that because there's distinctions, and he's got a picture, and he's trying to communicate something to us. And so we see from this, and again, this, <clears throat> this could be a whole teaching series. But we see right here in Genesis, and we see as it's repeated throughout the Bible, that God designed us to be complementary. Not one better, not one worse, not equal, complementary. That's God's design. And so we know that if men and women, male and female, each individually reflect the image of God, we recognize that our relationship together, which is expressed sexually, is also an image of God. It's also showing who he is. It's reflecting God. And so God, as we see in the Bible, God made sexual relationships to be within marriage relationships. 
Genesis 2, 24, 25 here on the screen, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Oh, I said naked. There it is. It's right there. It's in the Bible. In the very beginning, in chapter 2, as it's talking about how men and women should relate in a marriage relationship. Do you see the themes? Unity. Oneness. Nakedness without shame. God has clearly designed it, designed sexual relationships to be within marriage. And so we see right there from the beginning that within marriage, sex is clearly God's best for us. So we're going to expand upon this. Where else is that stated explicitly? Well, the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments there for? Why did God set up the Ten Commandments? Well, we're talking about boundaries, sort of a codification of God's boundaries for us. They're boundaries for us in a broken world, and yet they also reflect God, who is perfectly righteous. He didn't just sort of arbitrarily invent these standards. These standards reflect who he is. And why? Why does God have righteous standards? Why does he have boundaries for us in a broken world? Because he's mean and he wants to ruin our lives? No. So that it may go well with you and your children. And interestingly, that verse in Deuteronomy precedes the giving of the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And so there's one commandment. You say, okay, so these are Ten Commandments are, are boundaries around life. Well, there's one commandment. There's probably a couple, but one primarily that deals almost exclusively with marriage. What is it? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Well, what is adultery? I, we live in, in kind of a crazy culture, and we probably could come up with about 50 definitions of what adultery really is or what we think it is, right? But let's look at what God says it is through the Bible. So if you start in the Old Testament, right, it's easy to go, oh, that's the Old Testament. Okay, well, fine, we could talk about the legality and, and the nature of that kind of thing, but what, what's going on is it, it really expresses for us what is Sexual immorality. What is adultery? And it's really fleshed out there. And you could read through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and really see what God has set out as boundaries around sexual relationships. But I think we also got to talk about Jesus. Sometimes in our culture, people say, well, Jesus never said anything about this. Or Jesus didn't have any thoughts. That's just Old Testament stuff. Well, that's not true. Jesus, speaking here in Mark chapter 7, says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Lest we think that sexual immorality is not really sin or adultery, Jesus didn't really think that was the same. He lists it right there with all these other things, theft and murder and malice and deceit, slander and arrogance and folly. It's all together right there. Another place, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's in Matthew 5. And that's where Jesus is really raising the bar. He's raising the bar and saying, ah, it's not just kind of, oh, that little thing. It's really this very broad thing. 
We'll talk about that more in a minute here. Now, we also have to recognize that the Apostle Paul expounded upon this in a variety of places in his letters in the New Testament. I think of Romans 1. He talks about sexual immorality and calls it dishonorable passions and impurity. And so it's very clear as we look through Scripture and we look through the New Testament that adultery is the engagement outside of the marriage relationship with actions, thoughts, and passions reserved for marriage. Okay, so that's, there we go, that's what adultery is, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but there's probably a number of you sitting out there who are like, well, I'm not married. How am I ever going to get there? What is God's best path to get to marriage? Well, if God has boundaries for us, then he has plans for us, and he has means for us. If God wants marriage to really reflect him, He can lead us on a path to get there. And so what is his best path to marriage? Well, there's obviously, I'm not going to talk about do this and then that and then this and then that, right? There's not really that kind of a road map. But we know what the world tells us we should do. We can look at what God says to do. So what does the world tell us to do? The world tells us date the field. Go out and you you got to go out and and date a bunch of people and kind of figure this thing out. and, And be in emotional relationships that connect you with other people. And then maybe, eventually, one of those would be like, yeah, it's good, and I'll get married. Right? So that's one thing the world says. The world also says, go shopping. Go shopping. When I was, uh, I got married when I was 22. And it was just like three years ago. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was 22, and I was out, the, it was a week before I got married. And I was out doing some shopping, not this kind of shopping, but I was out doing some some purchasing in a retail establishment. (laughs) And I was pretty excited and giddy, as you might expect a a fairly hormonal 22-year-old would be. And it sort of came out in conversation with the the person, this little lady who was uh, running the cash register there, um, that I was getting married in a week. And that sort of came out in this conversation. Um, She looked at me. And shocked, and she said, you're so young. Like, like, how did she know how old I was? Maybe I looked like I was 15. I don't know. She's like, you're so young. I was like, oh, you know, whatever. And, and she said, don't you want to go out and sow your wild oats? <laughs> I, you know, I, it was like there was no filter or something there, what she said. And like, a lot of things kind of occurred to me, like, no, I really believe in conventional oats, not wild oats, or I want to plant them in straight rows, not scatter them everywhere. I, I didn't really know what to say. I, I just, I can't remember what I said to her. And maybe she just didn't have much of a filter between like what, you know, sort of her heart and her, her mouth, but that was something that was said. Some of you probably have had that kind of experience before. What else does the world tell us? It says, oh, you need to test your compatibility. And a lot of times they mean sexually. Test your compatibility. They also talk about, oh, you need to experiment and explore and kind of find yourself and how you are. And then, so that's what the world says, right? We've all heard those kind of things before. But what does God say? And as I look through scripture, I really don't see any of those things as something that we should do. But what does God say instead? He says this in Romans 14. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not 
from faith is sin. And so I look at these things that the world offers and we could come up with a huge list and I go, do those have anything to do with faith? No. It's like Tim talked about. It's walking by sight. I'm going to walk by sight and do those things. So that's not God's path. So that brings us back to the gospel. And the gospel asks us this. Will you trust God for a spouse? Those of you who are single, will you trust God? Will you trust God? Sometimes we can live in a way where we say, I will trust him for that. Or, oh yeah, I'll trust God for a spouse, but in the meantime, whatever the meantime is, in the meantime, I'm going to do this and this and this. I'm going to kind of go with the world's path. But I think we have to trust God. That God created me. He created you. He created each one of us. He created us male or female in his image. And he wants to ref- me to reflect him. So I can trust God in that. And if God has really set up marriage as a reflection of who he is, then he wants me to reflect him and glorify him in being married. And so if God wants you to be married, and chances are really, really good that he does, if you're not married yet, he wants to glorify himself through you by doing that. And so if this is true, if God wants to glorify himself through you and he wants to glorify himself through your marriage, God doesn't need you To provide you a spouse for you. He can do that. He will do that. And I can say he will do that. Because he has. Right? I have put this picture up here of how he's done this for me. Theoretically. I know what happened. The picture. Oh, we got it. So there's a picture coming up here. There it is. This is how God provided for me back when I was 22, three years ago. No, we've been married coming up on 15 years this next month. And I think she's more beautiful today than she was then. But God provided. And I can stand as a testimony. I know there's a number of you out here who can stand as as a testimony to that. That you don't have to date the field. You don't have to sow your wild oats. That God can provide you a spouse when you say, I'm going to step out in faith and follow him. So that's how we sort of get there. We get on God's path to marriage. Okay, so some of us are maybe not yet married. Some of us are married. Some of us are hoping to be married, on the way to getting married. We've got to really understand that God set boundaries around our sexuality. And yet, in this culture particularly, and even in churches, we misunderstand God's standards. We misunderstand them. Well, what do I mean? Here's what I see going on. Is this is kind of how the culture and the world, and a lot of times Christians even, really see sexuality. They say, oh, there's marriage, and there's non-marriage. And so they'll say things like, as long as it's blank, it's okay. And each person kind of fills in their own blank. As long as it's not hurting somebody. As long as it's heterosexual, as long as it's not hurting children, as long as it's whatever. The problem with this is we start to let other things slide that don't have a place in marriage. Things like lust and pornography and affairs. 
fornication, those kind of things. We let those things slide and we go, well, it's kind of almost marriage or it's like I'm married and so it's kind of okay in there or I can do this and, and that. And it sets up really this us and them mentality. And I really don't see God setting up for us an us and them mentality when it comes to marriage. Because I think that that's really self-righteousness. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan? And the real, the real important part of the parable of the Good Samaritan is, is not necessarily the story. It's the conversation Jesus has with the teacher who asks him the question. Right? The teacher says, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandments. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then the teacher is like, hmm, that sounds good, but that doesn't sound attainable. So he asks the follow-up question is, who's my neighbor? Because what was he trying to do? Remember this? He was trying to draw a circle around the people who were his neighbor and say, I can love that group of people. And I don't have to love, if, then I don't have to worry about those other people who are really unlovable or difficult, right? And Jesus sort of blows that out of the water and he goes, nope, there's no circle around who your neighbor is. Circle is kind of around everybody. We kind of find that with marriage, right? When we sort of set up our own morality about what is, what is moral in marriage and what is right and what is God's standards, we're really saying, okay, so I can sort of, I can sort of live within that and if kind of my, my sin sort of falls in that, I'm actually okay and I'm only righteous, that's really self-righteousness because we're really setting up our own method of how am I righteous when it comes to this area. So how do I think we really should look at God's plan for sexuality instead? Right? Well, I kind of have a little diagram. You know I like diagrams. I think we have to, before I show the diagram, we have to go back to the idea that of what sin really is. Sin can really be defined as missing the bullseye. It's missing the mark. It's not like, well, there's a giant target and I, I missed the target. No, it's missing the bullseye, right? And so we can really think about marriage as, this, as the bullseye of this target. And within marriage, a loving sexual expression between a husband and a, and a wife, that's God's standard for sexuality. That's God's boundary, remember? So that it will go good. It will be well for us and for our children. And so sin is to miss the bullseye. And we miss it in all these different ways, right? And we can't be like, okay, some of these things I can kind of put in there because I'm married or I will be married or there's all these different things that are really outside of marriage. And this really takes away the us and them mentality because each one of us looks at our own life and we go, I have missed the mark. I am missing the mark. And that's really scary, right? It's really scary unless we have the gospel. Because the call for believers is to have gospel faith. And in that gospel faith, we can aim for God's design. We can aim for God's best. We can aim for God's path in this area and others. Remember, Jesus had a standard. We look at all these sins and, and Jesus had this standard of, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. So it's very easy to miss the mark. The mark is very small, whether you're married or not. And so the concept I think we really have to get to as believers is that God has really called us to be celibate. Outside of that bullseye of marriage. 
outside of that circle of loving sexual expression between a husband and a wife, he has called us to celibacy whether we are married or not. If you're married, you don't get to say, oh yeah, God's best can still include all these things that are outside of that target because I'm married. No, God has called you to have celibacy from that, right? Oftentimes, we'll say this when we're doing marriage counseling, is that you, you all are, are marrying each other, you're selecting each other, and you're deselecting everybody else. And I think the same really holds true when it comes to these things, is that I'm getting married, I'm following God's path, I'm going to step out in faith to go down this path, and I am selecting it, and I am going to deselect everything else. I'm not going to draw my own circle about my own things and my own sins and say, yeah, I'm self-righteous. So all believers should really aim for marital purity, whether you're married or not. And so we talk about God's plan and his best and what he wants for us. And I, I use this illustration. I love this. How many of you have one of these? This is a generator. Does anybody have one? Good. Nobody got suckered about 15 years ago by Y2K then. (laughs) Maybe you have one because you go camping or fishing or whatever. I don't know. So this is a generator. And I really think, as I think about it and I pray about it, I think this is really what God has given humanity as marriage. Is that marriage and expressing ourselves sexually in marriage is like a generator. What does a generator do? It sits here and runs and it does great things. It provides power, provides light, it provides heat, it provides all these different things. It does this good and marriage provides great things to the world. It provides family, it provides stability, it provides intimacy, it provides relationship, it provides all these different kind of things. And in some ways, that generator just like this generator is run on gasoline. In some ways, marriage, there's an element of it where it's run on a proper expression of our sexuality. And so we could really think about it. In a lot of ways, each one of us is walking around with this big, big gallon of gasoline, or maybe it's five gallons, depending on who you are. I don't know. And that's your sexuality. And you have a choice of what you're going to do with that gasoline. You can go and you can put it in the generator that God gives you, And if you don't have a generator yet, you can pray and trust God and walk in faith that he will give you a generator. But if you have that generator, you can take your gas and you can put it in that. Or you can go and you can go dump it out out on something else. Maybe it's a fire. Maybe it's on your lawn. I don't know. Wherever you want to dump it out, you can. But God's best is that we put it in the generator. Because when we put it into that generator, it runs and, and it does amazing things. And it's God's best for us. And yet he gives us that choice of how we're going to express it. And so against the backdrop of that, we bring it back to gospel faith. How do I have gospel faith? Well, let's go back to the very first thing we said at the beginning. Remember, the gospel is truth and grace. And me holding on to both of those things. So as it applies to this, what do we have? What is the truth? The truth, as we said, is I am more sinful than I ever imagined. And so hopefully, every one of us will walk away from here going, man... When it comes to sexual purity, sexual morality, I am, I have, I do sin. And I'm missing God's best in some way. And that's the truth. The truth is I am sinful and depraved maybe more than I thought before. 
Maybe I'd even drawn sort of a circle and said, I can, I can enact my sexuality and my relationships in this circle and realize that, no, the circle's actually a bullseye and I'm outside of that. But then there's grace. And grace tells me I'm unconditionally loved and fully forgiven of my sin if I've received the free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus. And that grace includes all forms of adultery, all forms of sexual sin. They're all covered, past, present, and future. And so when we recognize that, we can walk in a gospel freedom. Remember, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's given us freedom. And so when it comes to marriage, I can aim for God's best because of his great love for me. I can aim for that. And when I fail, there's forgiveness, and I can continue to aim for it. And I can go back after it, whether I'm married or unmarried. And so that's really where I think we need to approach as believers, marriage and sexuality. But I don't just want to leave it there as a guy who's sort of talking from stage and saying, yeah, do this and do that. I really want to help you. I want to help you live out your faith. I want your help to help me live out my faith. I want all of us, every single one of us, to aim for and hit God's best when it comes to this area and other areas. I want it to, as it said, to go well for you and your children. That's God's intention in all of this. And I know this is a sensitive topic. And I confess it's really difficult to talk about. In some ways I was really happy when we got snowed out last week. So I didn't have to get up and talk about it. (laughs) But here I am. And so, we as a church, me as a pastor, as your friend, I just want to help you with this. And so maybe you're saying things like, I don't think I have the faith to aim for and hit God's mark. Or maybe I'm doing some things and I, it's going to be really hard. I know it's going to be really hard. And I want to walk with you through that. I want to help you with that. Maybe you say, just honestly, hopefully we're always honest, but as, as I really think about myself honestly, I'm missing God's mark. And I'm ashamed. And maybe I'm causing damage to myself or to other people when it comes to this area. And I want to help you with that. And that's really hard. And we as a church, me as a pastor, I'd love to walk with you through that. Maybe you just come to the end and like we said at the beginning, you just say, I got some questions about this, man. This is new to me or this kind of grates against sort of what I kind of have thought or the way I've thought. And again, I, I, I'm not speaking this out of, out of pride I'm not speaking this out of commandment. I'm just, I'm looking at what the scripture says, saying this is where we got to live out faith, people. And I want to help you with that. And if you've got questions, you want some help, here's my email address. It's really simple, greg at denverfirehouse.com. And there's my phone number. And you're welcome to call me or send me a text message. If I don't know you, please put your name on the text message so I don't go, who's this weird person, right? But I would love to help you love to meet with you. Um, sometimes people ask to meet with you and they go, oh, I know you're really busy. Well, yeah, I am really busy, but meeting with you and talking to you and helping you walk through these things is probably the most important thing I have to do. And so I want to help you. So I encourage you to contact me if you want to. I know, again, I know this is a really difficult topic and really hard, but I want you to understand that we're trying to stand here and hold on to the truth The truth, which is, man, I am sinful. And God has a really narrow, small bullseye to hit when it comes to this. 
And yet there's grace on the other side, which says, I am forgiven, and despite what I've done, despite what I may do, walk, I'm forgiven, and God loves me, and it doesn't change my relationship with him. And with those things, we have the freedom to walk forward into victory in our life. I'm going to pray to close our time here. God, thank you for setting up boundaries for us. God, that's a hard thing to even thank you for sometimes because in some ways my flesh just wants to say I don't want there to be any boundaries. I want to do what I want to do, what I want to do. And yet, God, I look down that road and I see it and I thank you for for giving us the ability to look down the road and see that that kind of living is not going to be what's best for us. God, it can be so confusing living in this culture, live in such a a sex-crazed culture and confusion about marriage and identity and gender and relationships and all these things. God, it is so confusing. And there's so much brokenness. And yet it's precisely into that culture you want us to walk and to love and to show grace and to stand for truth with humility in our own lives. God, I pray for each person who's here today, God, myself included, knowing that there's, there is sin in this area and there's shame and guilt. And yet, God, you tell us that if we believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and we receive the free gift of salvation, then that sin and that guilt is forgiven and washed away. God, help each one of us as we, as we engage with this and wrestle with it in our, in our own hearts that we would realize, wow, I am forgiven. God's grace is, your grace is so big. There is no hole so deep. We're outside of your grace and your forgiveness. And yet, God, you've given us a charge to, to aim for your boundaries, to walk in them. Lord, help us, each one of us, to aim for that to walk together, to rely on each other, to pick each other up when we fall, to walk in grace and truth, to meet the mark you've set for us so that we can have live within the boundaries you've given us so that it may go well for us. Thank you for this amazing plan and for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen.